What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Veil. I am your host, Alex Nelson, and on today's episode, we have my dear friend, Mitchell Antoine. He is a self-development coach as well as a plant medicine facilitator and also is the co-owner of one of the businesses I own named Arcana. And so we had a really beautiful conversation. We've known each other for a while. We talked about all things kind of spirituality, talking about different pitfalls that people run into when it comes to psychedelics and just overall talking about life and how we perceive things. So this should be a good episode and I hope you enjoy it. If you do, as always, what helps us most here at the Through the Veil podcast is if you share it with a friend and even share it on social media if you really join the episode. You can also drop us a five-star review on iTunes and I believe now Spotify as well. So that's super appreciated if you do so. And overall, I just hope you enjoy the episode. If you want to connect with Mitchell, you can find all of his details in the show notes. Much love, y'all, and let's dig in. Well, Mitchell, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. If you can begin with just a brief introduction of yourself, kind of tell people who you are and a little bit of how we know each other, and then we'll we'll dive into some juicy topics here. Yeah, so Mitchell Antoine is my name, and um, Alex and I met through Fit for Service in the men's group, actually, and that kind of leads into a bit of my background. I mean, I've been in self-development since as early as I can remember just kind of introspective and self-oriented originally as a child and I remember stumbling upon the Aubrey Marcus podcast somewhere in maybe 2018 2019 and um, what I really enjoyed about Aubrey Marcus versus a lot of other speakers uh, that I'd followed before like Joe Rogan and other um, self-development based podcasts that had very wide interests but Aubrey seemed to embody a lot of the same ethos that I had, which is how do we look at all parts of ourselves and improve them instead of just a specific aspect like our spirituality, our connection to God or source or whatever you want to call it. How do we look at our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, the physical body, and as well as like the financial aspects that he brought into things and being a businessman. Like I really um, resonated with that because myself being a businessman historically I had a lot of contention points in the self-development or let's say spiritual based communities and where many of these groups that I would find around the world or people that I would connect with were very much um, flim flam or let's say not attached to this material reality and it was kind of a contention point for me or, or where I felt a little bit of a separation was feeling like I have some groundedness in this reality. I have some understanding of like the financial world. I have desires in this material based realm while I also develop my uh, spiritual work and my inner egoical understandings. And so seeing Aubrey was one of the first people that I saw embody all of those same ethoses. And um, I kind of ended up diving into his app, which is where we ended up connecting on the men's group there. I jumped on the app. I saw the kind of groups that were popping up and the men's group seemed interesting to me. I had never personally been on like an online Zoom men's group and I hopped in there and there was a beautiful container that was kind of being facilitated and held. And it was such a natural expression for me to jump in there and be able to 
share vulnerably very openly and be received by other men but also like fully support them and so i really enjoyed being able to go into that group and then over time eventually become a, a moderator myself for as you had started off and that's kind of where we met and um, kind of a lot of the things that got me following this this um well i, I would say following this community per se because i was following this path my myself for a while and I guess to, to kind of wrap up things about me, I've been working with plant medicines for a dozen years, roughly now. I've been on and off the, the life path of self-development, you know, going through all the different bumps along the journey. And I've lived in the jungle, working and training with the Shipibo. I have, man, yeah, I've just spent a lot of time going through the grinder of life and trying to understand myself and understand what it is, this human experience and what the mind is and why, why we seem to live in a state of suffering so much and how we can truly um, step out of that state of suffering. One of my biggest metaphors and one of my biggest realizations of how to actually do that was suffering is grace. And that's always been my core quote is the understanding that the suffering that we experience is a gift of opportunity for us to expand and develop and grow and really embodying that in my life. And every time I get hit in the face by the universe, just coming back to remembering that. <laughs> That's kind of the, the path now. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I think one of the things that you and I connected about right away was this, you know, having the spiritual side, but being grounded in, let's call it material reality as well. And that doesn't mean necessarily being materialistic, but it does mean that there's this understanding that it's like, great, I do my meditation, I work with plant medicines, I do these things to enhance my spirit, but what am I doing in the very physical realm? Fitness, financial practices, which are missing from a lot of the spiritual realm, um, just any financial sense whatsoever, business sense whatsoever. And so it was one of the things you and I, I felt connected on right away where we both had this sense of like, yeah, it's beautiful, but like be both. Don't just be one or the other, which of course Aubrey embodies. So I'm curious if you think of your path with plant medicine specifically, um, what was the initial things that were like the big chunks you were working on that you were trying to either move out of some state of pain you were in, or you're trying to change or move through something that uh, you found undesirable about a past version of yourself? And kind of how did those progress as you worked with medicines? What was the process there that kind of made you into the person you view yourself now? That's a fantastic question. And I got to say, I got a lot of dead bodies in the closet. <laughs> There's a lot of versions of myself that are dead. So that question applies. Like, it's like, which one do you want me to talk about? I mean, in essence, I started working with plant medicines when I was roughly 15 years old. And that was out of a desire to become more creative. That was my initial motivation. I had come upon a study at that time in my life. I had realized even a few years earlier that I was very logical, analytical, process-oriented, hyperactive mind, ADHD. And I was looking for ways to kind of be more creative. I was always inspired by music. It's one of the first places in my life where I started to feel like emotions. I was like, what is that? Give me more of that. That's amazing. And I had the desire truly to be a creative individual. And I was looking logically for ways to fix my brain and make it more creative. And I had stumbled across um, a research uh, study done in the late 50s, which was a study 
for different civil engineers, architects, mathematicians, business people that had challenges that they couldn't solve for at least six months. And they put them in a container where they gave them LSD and saw that every individual came out with a novel way to approach the problem that they had or a solution to the problem that they had. And that really inspired me to dive deep into psychedelics and researching LSD at that time. And what was beautiful for me was I was sitting in, I think, uh, early high school at this point. And I was just, I had a computer lab class and I don't even remember what it was for. My intelligence, it didn't matter to, to pay attention to actual school. And so every day researching LSD on a public computer for hours, <laughs> it was great. And um, I went through basically all the available studies that they had at the time and finally convinced myself to go ahead and try the substance because of its non-lethality, uh, non-toxicity. And I also kind of did a lot of research into how I could source it, how I could test it to make sure I had the proper compound. And then I sat with it and I actually created a ceremony for the first time in my life. I had barely smoked marijuana at this point and not taken any other substances. And everything was based around how I can improve my brain. So I sat down and created a ceremony, which was just an intentional space in which I had a bunch of crayons. I had stuff to draw with. I had music going. I had like um, just different, I had some instruments. I had different creative materials. And then I had a bunch of fruit for like experiencing different flavors. So for the first ceremony, without knowing what that was in my life, the intention was to just explore like a child and to play and create. And I didn't really get that childhood growing up. It was very work oriented doing due to the upbringing that I had with my parents. And so it was my opportunity to do that. And I dove in with five tabs on my first journey and definitely didn't end up using any of those supplies. <laughs> but um, from that path forward, I ended up working with LSD basically every two weeks for the next roughly five to six years. And I had started off obviously on the wrong perspective. I didn't understand the self-development perspective. I didn't understand the medicinal perspective. I did understand that there was some benefit to insight because along that journey, I had multiple deaths. One of the big deaths for me was in high school. I, I had gone from a loner child of kind of being constricted by my family to just working on the weekends and being in my room alone uh, during the week and not really able to connect with people. And during that period of time, I felt very isolated and made the decision going into high school that I wanted to socialize more, that I wanted to make connections more. And I kind of broke out of my family paradigm and what they had dictated for me. And I rebelled, quote unquote, we could say, and I adopted the identity of a popular individual. And during high school, I was basically in the most popular group of kids there that were throwing all the parties. It was like a every single day we had something going on. And then the weekends we had huge parties and I had adopted this identity through understanding what it is that gets people to like you in the normal world. And so for each person, I basically had a different kind of persona or things that I would talk about specifically to be interesting to them. Now, obviously at this time, I didn't think anything was really wrong with this. I thought this is what you needed to do to have friends and be liked. Um, but I was also already working with LSD at the same time. So I hit a certain part where the first major death was that. It was the death of the false identity I put on. I had always lived as a child very much myself and my own identity, which is part of what ostracized me along with my family. But I had adopted this false um, identity specifically because I wanted to socialize and connect more. 
And LSD basically worked with me along the journey to go, no, <laughs> wrong way. And so the death of that identity kind of came through a few different circumstances multiple years down the road. But I, I went back to, I'm going to be who I am and authentic and genuine to that and fuck what anybody else thinks. Now I had swung, swung the pendulum too far. So one of the next big um, lessons and opportunities in my life actually ended up being how to be self while still having compassion and consideration for other. And that was a big opportunity for me between myself and my ex-partner at the time um, who I had spent five years with. She was a very other-oriented person, cared everything about what other people think, would give so much to other people around her and do for others and like modify and give up herself in many ways. So she had a lot of the negative qualities of being fully for other. And I was fully for self at that point in my life. So we had this beautiful like opposite spectrum where we were both teaching each other and being a contention to each other with that exact concept. And I got to learn through that and through my medicine work at that time as well, how to stand in my own truth and integrity and not give that up while still holding space and being receptive of those around me. And that was, that was another big point that I may still at times in my life um, get reminders about, about how to be self-centered, which is one of my core uh, beliefs, a being who is centered within themselves and still be aware and acknowledging and willing to take action for others rather than just our own identity but holding true to what's most true to us, you know? So maybe I have to give up something that's true to me, but compromise it for those around me because I care about them, but still holding to the deeper beliefs of who I am. And that's not ever altered. I'm not giving away myself in those moments. So and those were kind of two of the really big steps for me. Um, one of the other big bodies was the biggest body essentially was my whole identity leading from high school all the way into um, my early 20s, where I had gone on a train of self-development and then materialized focus, where I was completely absorbed in, in money and work. And I spent those five years from 18 to 23 in the grinder of 24-7 absorbing information and outputting work. In, in a very frantic way. So it's like the moment I wake up, it was throwing down a podcast, ingesting some form of information and answering texts and phone calls. And I just had like four or five different business opportunities and things that I was engaged in at that point in my life all at once. And I started to become successful financially over time, but I was hyper-motivated simply for the financial reward. I was only doing things because of what it it would return for me financially. And this was a big challenge for me and a big part of my depression at the time in my life because since I was a child, I never stuck with any one particular like subject or hobby or interest. I couldn't, at that point in my life, I didn't have the understanding of what really engaged me and fulfilled me. And I was aware of that. Again, it was a part of the, I wanna be creative, I'm taking psychedelics. Like I was trying to find something that, that I was engaged in and I still hadn't found that in my life by the time I was 18. But I had this program running from my father and from my upbringing, which is you're the man, you put food on the table. And I had this woman come into my life that I really 
wanted to build a life with. And so it was like, hit the grindstone, like start working. You can't figure out what you want. I was in college at that time to be an audio engineer. And I just, I was working as an intern being totally abused for free labor. Um, and I kind of just started doing whatever it took to make some money. And then that expanded and expanded. And then my whole perspective became, this was the deeper belief that I didn't catch early on, but it was my value became associated with my output, with my financial return. And so my value to my partner was that I can buy her nice things and experiences. And we started with no money, but it was a beautiful, beautiful, terrible story of everything became associated to my, my production capabilities. And so if I ever stopped or if I ever slowed down or if I ever got a financial hit, which there were many, it was a hit personally to me because it was like, I'm not valuable now. Like I lost that money. Why did it impact me so much? Because I lost my performance. I lost who I am. Right. I just took a like I just got less sexy, <laughs> whatever it is. It came down to me losing a part of my identity at that time. And so I went on that journey for many, many of those years. And I was always stressing myself to do more, no matter how much I have, because there was this underlying sense of, of insecurity, of not having enough and of always needing to have more so I can give more, so I can be loved more. So that all accumulated in a financial pinnacle and a personal pit hole. So at the top of the financial pit of pinnacle, I was at the bottom of myself. And there were other challenges from youth. I mean, depression and anxiety were very present with me since a young age and lack of passion, lack of motivation. They all played in to create this perfect storm that I was managing with alcohol throughout that entire relationship. Was the only substance that I could take at the time due to like anxiety spikes and paranoia. And by the end of that relationship, we had separated and I had basically everything kind of collapsing in my face at once. Both my financial pinnacle started to collapse. My family had collapsed around me. All of, all of who I was and identified with was basically shattered in front of me. I had projected 50 years of a life with this person. I had projected like financially where I would be. I had projected like obviously everything. I mean, you're living life with somebody, you start to plan out what you want for your future and what that's gonna look like. And you think you have a vision of how everything's gonna be. And the entire picture just shatters around me. And I was sitting in that, that hole and the very first thing that happened to me in that moment was the understanding of finally stopping alcohol. So I went from years of trying to stop drinking because it became an all day, every day thing. And I was never a drunk, but it was definitely, it was definitely an unhealthy pattern. It was a dependency pattern. And in one day after her leaving, I stopped and I was done. Now, what happens when you have years, because I had unconscious suppression before that, I had many addictions, reading novels, I was absorbed in since I was a kid, um, socializing was my next addiction when I was in high school, other drug dependencies, and then alcohol, like, there was a lifetime of conscious suppression, as this, this world does to us, and then in one day, I stop it all no TV, no, no anything else. And it was just a massive 
floodgate opening right in my face and just tearing me to pieces. And I spent months in a, in a heavily debilitated state. And from that point is when I basically made the commitment to go to the jungle and to live there and work with the Shipibo as they were the first place in my life where I found somebody more educated and experienced with psychedelic medicine work than myself. And yeah, there was a lot of a lot of development, reorganization towards self at that point, and a lot of a lot of lessons learned along the entire journey. But the, I would say that was my biggest one. Like I, I completely let go of that being who was the successful, wealthy, um, capable individual who had a partner and a life and everything put together and in order and all the identifications like there was one phrase that I had said to her once that was very powerful for me to admit and it was like the tombstone phrase which is I failed because up to that point in my life as a perfectionist as an achievement oriented person like admitting failure was admitting that I'm worthless and so the death of that being was saying like I failed I, like I had so many balls in the air, I had so many things I was juggling and dealing with, and everything collapsed finally at once. And it was simply going, yeah, I failed. I failed at that. And then the recognition over time that needed to be built and maybe took a long time, but it was the failure doesn't equate to my value. The failure is simply now how do we improve upon the next iteration? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's really like, I think this is Jordan Peterson's quote, but one of the really difficult things for a lot of people when it comes to failure is the dissolution of what you thought was the map of the territory of your life. And it's like you have this whole 50-year plan of, okay, life, kids, business will do this, this will do this. And then when some of those things start to fall apart, all of a sudden you're in no man's land with no map to navigate. And that's one of the things that's so scary about it. One of the reasons that people have so much difficulty with that phrase of like, I failed. I didn't do it. It didn't work. And that like fear of doing that leads us to continue to operate in our life with a bad map. Even if the map isn't serving us and it's taking us over and over again into like pitfalls and, you know, uh, sand traps and just all sorts of crap we don't want to be in. Quicksand was the word I was looking for there. We find ourselves using it over and over again because to continue to use the old incorrect map is less scary than going i don't have a map right now i don't know what i should do next i don't know exactly what i am doing wrong or am doing right but there's a lot of power in that statement of i failed and there's a lot of power in that statement of i don't know because that's when you actually open the chance that you could learn something new that there could be new information that would enter into your mind and then you'd be able to navigate more effectively from that place. It's that old uh, beautiful quote from the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life, which is a great book. If anyone hasn't read it, it's a wonderful encapsulation of this idea, which is, he says, the guy's a Boyd Vardy. He is a uh, lion tracker in South Africa. And he goes, I don't know where I'm going, but I know how to get there. And it's this concept of, I don't know where the lion's den is, but I know how to look at the track in front of me and take my next step and take my next step and take my next step. And so in the release of that, 
we gain a lot of ability to be flexible in our lives and to really respond to what's actually in front of us instead of, you know, what I've done many times personally, which is plan out a whole 20 year, here's what I'm going to do, here's the impact I'm going to have, here's what I'm going to, which doesn't leave any room for magic. I often say like over planning is the death of magic because where's the room for magic if you've got everything scheduled down to a T? There's no room for it. So it's this idea of just like following it as it is and not being scared to go, I don't know, or I failed, or I'm not sure what's next. That openness is really, really important. So I want to ask you, so when it came to working with different plant medicines, what do you think is some of the things that you got wrong early on? So first tailing it to the personal things that you perhaps did incorrectly, and then also just more broadly now, because obviously I know both of us facilitate with plant medicines and you uh, and I work together on a business, Arcana, which yeah, people will hear in the intro and the outro of this podcast. Um, what are some things you perceive more broadly being done incorrectly or just could be improved upon when it comes to working with medicines for these stated goals of like improving the self, improving connection? So first, what do you think you did wrong early on? And then what do you see broadly done in a way that could be improved? I love this question because there's there's so much to it. I mean, I hit just about everything you shouldn't do along the way. As I said, I started off roughly five or six years of taking psychedelics to a large um, degree every two weeks. And Again, I did this very logically. So why every two weeks? For those that don't know, like our serotonin system typically takes about two weeks to fully reset within the human body. And so I was like, logically, I'm going to plan this out to where I'm fully rested, I'm fully recovered, I'm fully restored, and then I'm going to go all the way deep again. But why every two weeks? Why did I need it that frequently? Because my original mindset was when I was under the psychedelics, I was in this state of being that was amazing. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing this is what I need in my life. And these psychedelics are giving it to me. So I wanted to come back as frequently. And it was like, I go into this place where I'm getting stuff and I don't have these things and I need to come back frequently so I can get them. One of the phrases I used to jokingly say to friends was, it's like every two weeks I get to leave all of my baggage at the door and just step into this like beautiful environment. And then after glow for a few days and I start to pick all the bags back up. And obviously I wanted to know how to let go of those bags entirely <laughs> because it felt so good. So one of the fundamental traps I had was the dependency. Even though I did it properly in terms of biologically, there was still a dependency in terms of, I believe my life was dependent on this substance giving me something that I lacked. And one of the biggest switches for me that flipped in my journey with psychedelic medicines was the switch from... I lack and I need from these substances and I flipped it. And on the other side of that was all they're doing is showing me who I truly am and what I truly have. So the capacity that I had under psychedelic medicines for maybe some who haven't explored them or are unaware, what I would feel often was I would feel physically stronger. Like I would be physically able to do things that I wasn't capable of doing off the medicine. I would feel mentally more adept, mentally at peace, being a logical, analytical, over hyperthinking individual, like my mind was constantly running. One of the huge things that I didn't recognize until much later, but when I was under the medicine for those 12 hours with LSD, it was like, 
presence, just pure presence. And so my mind was like, not actually thinking a bunch of garbage thoughts on its own. And that was so relieving for me. And then the other things that I could recognize is my ability to be creative. My Like I'd sit down and play the guitar and I'd actually play versus when I was off the medicine, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> there was just a fundamental shift in my capacity and ability to live and express myself as I wanted to. I would laugh more. I would see my joke side come out. But over time, what I recognized, it was like, these aren't traits that aren't mine. They are me. And I, I maybe originally started off by saying they're just amplified. So still a dependence on the medicine amplifying them. But then I began to realize, oh no, what's happening here is I'm seeing all the bags at the door. That's all the shit in the way of me living like this every day and expressing like this every day. Those bags that I'm putting down and picking back up are what the medicine are telling me to get rid of. They're like, basically just going, hey, here's you. Would you like to be this? <laughs> because that's who you are. Just take the opportunity to let go of all that stuff that you've been carrying that's been keeping you from actually being who you are. The identifying with patterns and programs of what modern society or other people or parents have told me I should be. The identification of like what my needs are that actually keep me from who I am and how I want to express shame, a huge one involved in this that we all experience. And so essentially the biggest reorganization was the medicine gives to me and the medicine simply is pointing back at me, reflecting to me, me and saying, now, now what do you want to do about it? And that actually came in a very difficult way for me. After those six years, the medicine basically stopped working for me. No matter the amount of dosage that I would take, whether it was ayahuasca or LSD, or any other medicine compound, I would obviously feel something, but I wouldn't really trip. I'd be mostly blocked out. There wouldn't be any deep, profound insights. There wouldn't be any amazing bodily felt sensations. I wouldn't be in that like flow, dancey, beautiful, vibrant state. And most of my experience was me and my mind, which is what was my daily life at that time. So the medicine essentially got to this point where it was like, okay, are you going to do anything with all of what we've been showing you? We've been showing you all of the things that you are. We've been showing you all of your bags. You haven't been applying them. And so I essentially got this shutdown where I was blocked out from having experiences. And I went through a very challenging period in my life. This was at the same time as I got super absorbed in the financial material realm and all of those bad habits and patterns in my relationship at that time for those five years. And I began suppressing all of the sensations and the thoughts that I'm now aware of all of this stuff. I use this phrase often. Basically, what I went through was imagine taking the red pill from the matrix and then going back into the matrix. Now being aware of absolutely everything that's going on and still constantly ingesting the shit, both physically and metaphysically, like ingesting all of the garbage, participating in it and being aware of every every problem with all of that as you're doing it. And so it was it was a very grinder <laughs> process for me. I'm just like tearing apart many different things. But this is why my quote has been suffering is grace because this was another fundamental change for me. It was the understanding that all of these challenges that I went through, the school of hard knocks as I would call it, helped me build who I am and build my capacity to do this medicine or not. Because at this point in my life, medicine now stopped working. 
So I stopped using it frequently. And what I ended up having to do was I was basically going through a period of a lot of depression, anxiety, fear thoughts um, that would constantly like attack me. Any random situation would happen and I would be like constantly ruminating on it for hours or days afterwards. It would just be torturous inside of myself. And what I started to do was I want to feel better. How can I take away the ammo from my mind? Right. So every, every lie that I told would be mental torture for days and days after about how they might think about me. What if they found out this, this, and that. And so I was like, okay, stop lying because then you won't have all that torture. And then the next stage was like, well, the first one that ever started was food. I started to become very reactive to foods that I was eating. I was eating not so great at that point in my life. Um, $10, 50 nuggets, got that. <laughs> that ball again going on when I was you know working uh, for free for a year in, in college time and it was just terrible food I was putting into my body and I started to have violent reactions to them and be aware of that so I went on a process of like what did I respond my body respond to negatively that made me feel very terrible how can I take that away so I at least don't feel that pain and then the next was like what are the mental tortures that I'm experiencing how do I go solve that problem? Like, is it super accentuating my actions in this environment and how they were wrong and how I'm a piece of shit for doing that? Okay, go improve those actions because then it can't attack you with that anymore. Is it my relationship? Okay, go improve what you just did there so that, you know, I, it doesn't have that ammo anymore. So basically this pattern was me trying to simply feel good through not feeling attacked anymore within myself and over time, time as I removed those things I got lighter and lighter and lighter and then the recognition came through oh what I'm experiencing is like an ally it's a sparring partner literally showing me all of the pains of myself and the opportunity that I've been taking all these things away has been improving who I am as a being it's been improving the way that I show up in life and what I recognized was that, that quote came to me at a very dark moment when I was living in the jungle and I was experiencing a lot of suffering in the moment. It was just like this full phrase that I had written down and I still have it saved in my notes. And it was the essence, the embodiment of it was suffering is grace. It was all of this pain, this depression, this anxiety, these traumas from my childhood and other things that I've been experiencing. They've all taught me fundamentally how to be a better being when I took action with it. When I chose to examine it or to look at it, I should say, and to do something about it, to grow to where I'm no longer experiencing that. And so who I am fundamentally has been cultivated through, quote unquote, the fires of hell. But the fires of hell were loving me in helping me make that cultivation. The fires were the fires of the forge. We need that fire to make the sword to go from iron to steel, to refine the metal and take out the impurities. And so the fires we can say are hell and damn that, and that's terrible. But in reality, it's doing the molding and the melding and the melting that we need to become who we are. And so that for me was one of the pivotal shifts in my journey was from everything's happening to me and all of this is terrible and I feel terrible to all of this has been happening for me and building this beautiful way that I get to live and express and ending there simply 
my core truth, my core value has always been freedom. And I pushed against so many barriers since I was young because I wanted to express myself and feel free within my being, my body, my authentic expression. And I met resistance upon resistance because that's the one thing that this world says you can't have. It feels like this whole path has been meeting all of these resistances, going through all of the fire. And it's like, you want to be free. You got to burn away all the things that are keeping you from that. So that would be the kind of the, one of the biggest fundamental shifts for me with the medicine was the reorganization from it's giving to me to I have it myself. And in that process, learning the technique that the medicine taught, which is just look at the stuff, learn the lesson through it, and then take actions to move forward and change that actually in your reality. That fundamental shift is also the fundamental flaw that I think I see most people approaching the medicine with. Beautiful. Yeah. So what, what else do you witness when you see people first coming to plant medicine? You know, imagine I am a brand new, fresh-faced person coming in going, hey, Mitchell, I want to try mushrooms for the first time. I want to try ayahuasca for the first time. What are those pitfalls that you see people falling into, either from just lack of information, from trying not to lead the question here towards some answers I have to this question, but either from just lack of information or from even the facilitator side where maybe they seek the wrong facilitator and they end up getting bad advice and then they think they're doing good by acting on the advice, but really they got poor advice. What are, what are those like critical things you see? Yeah, the, the first fundamental one that I see just about every time is, and that statement you just used, hey, Mitchell, I'd love to use uh, mushrooms in my life right now. I feel like they'll do something for me. The question that I always ask is why? And the question that I never have really answered is that why? Most individuals come to this experience without fundamentally understanding what it is they're looking for from the experience. What is your intention is the big question that I feel I'm often asking people. And I mean, I have, we've created some content and course material, and I think I have like an hour long simply on intention alone, because this is so critical to me. And it's one of my fundamentals in life. The understanding of freedom, the understanding of sovereignty is I get to choose who I am and how I express myself. Well, how often are you choosing what you want as a result of the actions you're taking in life? How often are you reacting to something or taking actually, actually taking the actions that you're looking for? Actually taking the actions is being intentional about what it is you want to do and you want as a result. So as much as possible in my life, before I do anything, before I hop onto this call, it's what is my intention? Why am I here? What am I looking to get out of it? Whether I'm going to work for the day, about to sit down with a client, can I come up with why I'm actually showing up here? So I identify that and then I can take, make sure all of my actions are contributing to manifesting that intention. All of my actions are contributing to making that intention as likely to be the outcome as possible. And this comes back to another one of my core quotes, which is intentions, no expectations. So we spoke earlier about um, where you were saying having everything planned out for 20 years in our life and it leaves no space for like change and modification and that like feminine to actually enter. 
So the embodiment of intentions, no expectations is the healthy blend of the masculine and the feminine, the healthy blend of my action and my surrender together. I put all of my effort and energy towards what I desire. And then I release expectation of the result because maybe I put all this energy into growing fruit, to growing tomatoes, and I learn everything I need to, and I plant them at the right time, and I water them, and I nurture them perfectly, and none of them grow. I can lament over that, or I can simply put all the effort and energy and understand that the rest of that is up to life itself. And that has helped a lot with stress in my life. So to bring that back to beginners coming into the medicine space, it's why are you looking to take the medicine? And often it's some vague, well, this is happening in my life right now and I just don't feel satisfied with my life right now or something feels off or I haven't been feeling great. It'll be something very vague. And the, what I often use as an analogy is like what an intention is, is the direction to the result of what you are looking for. It's the direction to the end. Like the intention is I'm running a race to get to the end, the finish line. If I don't identify what the finish line is and how to get there, am I running a race at all? So the metaphor that I use is it's like going to college. I want to learn something. My life is messed up. Something needs to change. I'm going to college and I want to learn something. So I go sit in a classroom and I'm just listening to the, the speaker talk about ancient history, ancient Greek mythology, maybe. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, I need to learn something, but did it serve what I really wanted? Maybe I got some nice insights out of it. Beautiful. Or <laughs> I can cultivate, you know what? I would love to learn how to play an instrument. I would love to learn how to play an instrument because music makes me feel really good. And so I'm going to go to the classroom in which they're teaching music because that's my intention. And so now I go to that classroom and then I'm gonna find the guitar teacher because I wanna actually learn guitar. And I'm gonna tell that guitar teacher what type of music I would like to learn because I would like to learn, let's say how to play lead solos from classic rock jams specifically. And I go to that teacher to learn that. If I had walked into that college simply with this vague idea of, I need to fix something in my life. And what I truly needed was to express myself through playing solos on the guitar. How likely am I to get that result, going to all these different classrooms and learning random different things versus what's most impactful to me in my life right now? So with that intention, I go to the right classroom, I go to the teacher, I sit down to learn from him, and I even tell him what I want to learn. And I have the greatest like opportunity to actually receive what I'm looking for in result. The universe through putting an intention with the medicine is like, well, there's countless things for you to learn, my child. There's an infinite universal amount of things because you are engaging the universe. You're engaging the depths of yourself. So here's everything. <laughs> and here's everything is incoherent. And I've had many of those journeys where it's just so much is happening. And I'm trying to grab all of it. And it's like, I feel like a guy. I have all this information. And then I walk out of the trip and it's like, none of it sticks. None of it was relevant. I'm thinking of galaxies and universes that don't even apply to my life. <laughs> but that intention alone gives me the greatest opportunity to make a change in my day-to-day -day life, which is the important part to me. And so having that intention, I then set no expectation which means sitting with that teacher, that guitar teacher, telling him I want to learn that solo, 
say only one stairway to heaven to give a cheesy example. And he goes, okay, great. And he starts to teach me scales and he starts to teach me chords. And I'm just like, and he starts to teach me like finger uh, dexterity exercises. And I'm like, none of this is what I wanted to learn. What, what? If I wasn't open, if I had no expectation, I would never get to actually being able to play a solo because what I needed in advance was all of those skills to be able to play that solo. So the no expectation piece is the next fundamental piece that I see people coming to the medicine with is they come with maybe some concept of something wrong in their life that they want to work on or the more common one, they come with all of these stories from their friends, from all the YouTube videos, from the countless podcasts they've listened to of what should happen on their trip and what it should be like. And they're going to meet this snake when they go sit with ayahuasca and they're going to jump into its mouth because it's their fear and they got to go through it. And that's what, that's the story, right? Whatever the story is that you've heard, one of the fundamental first things I always say in my ceremony is take all of your concepts and ideas, take all of the trip stories that you've ever heard, take all the trips you may have already had, throw it out the window. There are no reference points for you here. The only reference points are the ones inside of you, your own identity, your own life. Those are your reference points. Nobody else's apply. And if you use that to try and interpret your own experience, you're using somebody else's life and perspective to interpret yourself. So the greatest part for me is if you can drop all of that away, then you're no longer looking at what should have happened in the experience and you're more open to whatever it is you are experiencing. Because there's, there's as many different trips that you can experience as there is mind states that you can occupy and emotional states that you can occupy. Everything that you are is what you experience under the medicine. One day you may take medicine and the entire trip is just you in silence with nothing happening. And there's lessons in that because that's a mind state of yours. And another could be you literally ruminating on one thought for eight hours because that's what you do in your normal day-to-day -day life. And there's all sorts of lessons to be learned about your patterns and why you do that and what you were ruminating on. So this concept of what a trip is, and it's a psychedelic experience where you see cool, scary, trippy things, and you maybe learn things, and ayahuasca will take you on a journey, or mushrooms will take you on this journey. All of that is simply projection, somebody else's experience in reality. And I guess to leave that, I'll just say, Projection is one of the main mechanisms of the human experience. So it's not it's not to say you did anything wrong if you've been doing this, but it's very much the opportunity in our lives is to always let go of those projections. Whenever we're projecting onto another person, we're not actually experiencing them and receiving them for their intent, for their true meaning, for their true offering in that moment to us. So no intentions why they want to work on the medicine, not refining it down to the clear problem is my life is unfulfilled because I haven't identified what my inherent value is. Boom. I want to identify my inherent value as a being in this world so I can feel I show up in alignment everywhere in my life. That is a very refined intention versus my job sucks. My wife is, you know, always mad at me. I don't feel like connection to my life and I want to find fulfillment. 
I want to find purpose and passion. I hear those all the time in people coming into the spiritual realm of communities. It's like, what's my purpose? What's my passion? That is the vaguest thing ever versus the refined, how do I associate to my own value, to my own feelings of joy and happiness? And then what are the actions I can take to, to make that happen? Refined, unrefined. You can get answers in both, but which one is going to get you closer to what you're looking for? And then the no expectations piece, which is not actually receiving what we're looking for because we're not open to it or what we need most in that moment. And then outside of that, actually, I'll throw it back to you for a second. What was this, the question beyond the beginning, beginner's issues that you had asked? Yeah, no, that was perfect as it was. And I just add a couple of additional pieces here that I think are useful. You know, part of the problem when people come in with non-specific intentions is they there's a real thing that I talk to clients about a lot about what are you willing to sacrifice for your intention? So it's this concept that if you're going to engage in a psychedelic journey and perhaps you look at the psychedelic journey as a prayer to bring something into your life, well, part and parcel of a prayer is what am I willing to sacrifice at the altar of this thing I'm trying to bring towards me? And so people, if they don't have a clear and specific intention, it's going to be very hard to identify what it is you would sacrifice to get that intention made manifest in your life. So to put a concrete example to this, if you look at someone who says, I just feel really disconnected in my life. And it's like, okay, that could be a good starting point, but perhaps we identify some deeper layers of why they feel disconnected. Well, if you knew, okay, my disconnection comes from my relationship and my job, and these are the two areas in which I feel I don't show up for myself. Well, now we can start to go, okay, well, what are you willing to get, give up to achieve the state of connection? What are you willing to sacrifice to feel connected? It might have to be the job. It might have to be the relationship. Are you open to that? Because I see a lot of times people coming in expecting a magic wand solution of like, yeah, well, I'll just come out of the trip feeling happier. And that can happen, but almost always the case is it becomes clearly illuminated that you have something specific in your life that you have to go work on. And so when you pre-identify yourself, like, what am I willing to sacrifice? It really helps build this reciprocal relationship with the psychedelic itself, because you're coming in open-minded, truly and going, you know, in my case, let's say, if I'm going into a journey, everything is on the table. I could go into my next journey. It could go, Alex, no more facil facilitating psychedelics. That's not what serves you anymore. And even though that's a huge piece of my identity as I currently perceive it, like this is one of the things I do, I'm open. If that's what has to go, that's what has to go. Because maybe it's a new phase in my life. Maybe something else has to shift. But I, I find a lot of times people aren't thinking to that depth. And this, of course, builds into the concept of surrender, where it's like, if you are truly surrendered to the medicine, you are willing to give up whatever it is that needs to be given up for you to move into your happiest, most fulfilled, most embodied version of yourself. And then, of course, we talk about integration, which is the second piece to this. And it's the thing that I see maybe most missing, um, you know, hand in hand with intention is integration. It's like, what do you do after the journey to make it stick? What is your plan of action or plan of inaction in some cases, some people are going to get the realization that what they need to do is just sit and not do shit. Okay. Plan of inaction in that case, do nothing. But for most people, plan of action, what are you actually going to do to concretize what it is that you learned and have it have traction in your life? 
And what kind of effort are you going to apply to that? So just having that level of reflection afterwards, trying to understand a journey fully. I see that getting missed a lot where people kind of emerge from a journey and they immediately assume they knew exactly what it meant and they don't do any further analysis on it. It's like the journey planted seeds. You have to go water the seeds and only a month or so down the line, maybe even years in some cases for really, really deep, potent journeys, that's when you see what the seeds actually grew into. Like, oh, that's an orange tree. Okay, that makes sense. That's what that is. So I guess I can make orange juice from that. When you try to do it based off just the seed, you have no idea. You're like, I'm going to make orange juice. And all of a sudden, it's a watermelon vine. And you're like, oh, well, that's not going to work. huh? So this intentionality of integration afterwards is, you know, phase one is understand the journey, spend time with it, spend time thinking about it, spend time reflecting on it, have trusted psychedelic coaches that you work with who can give you reflections on, hmm, yeah, that's an interesting thought. You know, I had, a, I had a client once who shared, uh, who went, yeah, you know, I just, I encountered these aliens in my journey and they told me we need to love ourselves more. So we, humanity, you know, the aliens are out there and we just have to love ourselves more so we can get in contact with the aliens. And I, I was reflecting, I was like, okay, that's one interpretation. What's your relationship to self-love feel like? And they were like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's not the best interesting so is it possible that you feel alienated from the concept of self-love and that the reason this vision took the form it took was that the concept itself of loving yourself was literally alien to you it was foreign to you and so the way the journey knew to speak to you was like having something outside of yourself coming and telling you hey you need to love yourself now this doesn't mean aliens do or don't exist this doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is that there's multiple interpretations available for that. And typically, well, not typically, but many people, myself included, will immediately latch on to the most glamorous kind of sexy interpretation. It's like, it's way cooler to tell people that you met an alien during your journey than it is to go, yeah, I realized I don't love myself very much. It's like, which story is more fun to tell? The alien story. So you tell that story and then you start to buy into that, but then you don't make progress. So there's this really critical point of getting healthy reflections from other people and looking at it from multiple different angles and then asking the question like pragmatically, what would this improve in my life? Okay, if aliens are real, what does that change? Well, not, not that much, honestly, in terms of your day-to-day -day action. But if I need to work on self-love because that's what I saw on the journey, well, that could probably improve a lot. Maybe I should start walking that path as I do so. Maybe I'll meet some aliens. But if not, at least I worked on self-love. So those are just a couple other things that come to me as things I see people kind of missing as they jump into uh, psychedelic experiences and they kind of don't have that intentionality as a whole, you know, holistic spectrum of uh, work. So I'm curious what you view now as your next frontiers to work on. And this could be personally, this could be business related, this could be, I'm, I'm leaving it intentionally quite open. What do you view as the next things that you're like, this is my next thing to tackle? And where do you find yourself spending that energy currently? And where do you view you still have room for growth in your life? 
I want to hit the rewind button for a second, just because there was so much gold to mine and what you were just speaking about before I jump into that question. And the part about like, what are we willing to sacrifice? So there's a thing in me where I like to pay attention to, to wording and how we use them, because I've often gotten in, into a state of viewing the world from a negative lens versus a positive one. And so sacrifice has kind of this negative connotation to it. Like we have to give something up to get what we want, which why is that fun? You know, what, what's beneficial about that? So a little re reorganization of how I view things, it's what just simply what am I willing to do to get what I want, right? If this is truly what I want, then I'm going to go for that. Now there's other things I have to stop doing or let go of to get that. But it's simply, for example, if I want to, if I want to play basketball, I'm going to go play basketball. There's a thousand other things in my day, going to see my girlfriend, going to visit my mom, going to the grocery store that I'm not doing to be able to go play basketball right now. I'm simply doing what I want to get what I want that's most important to me at this time. And this is the piece of integration. So when you're talking about the sacrifice piece and what are we willing to give up, to me, this is the fundamental pathway of integration. It's like you have the insight, you have the understanding of what needs to be changed for you and for your life to get towards what you want. What are you going to do about it? And this, as you're speaking to, is the fundamental piece that that I see missing often, most people use this word now, integration, and it's a catchphrase. But most people are like, what does that actually mean? What does integration actually look like? I had no integration practices in the beginning of my journey. I would just live my life. But actually, the integration practices were running in the background. They were, as I mentioned, that voice then going, oh, you know what you just did there? That was a lie that you just told as I'm walking away. And it's like the next time it pops up, maybe as I'm saying it, that's a lie. And it's like, oh, and I just did that. And then the next time I'm about to say the same story, the same lie. And it's like, wait, pause. Not going to say that. And I take a different action. So one of the mechanisms of integration for me simply came from that. It's can, can I become more and more aware of the pattern? Awareness is 99% of the problem and the solution. Is, is, is a phrase that I often have. And what that means is if I'm aware of what's going on, the more aware that I am, the more likely it is I have the opportunity to take a new action. And at least each time, my metric can start out by simply being how soon before I became aware that I was repeating that old pattern. Did it take me two weeks to then go, oh, you know what? I did that thing that my wife doesn't like and she's yelling me about it again. Did it take somebody else telling me did I recognize it myself? How long did it take for me to recognize it myself? And as that timeline shortens, you then get to a place where it's, you're aware before you do it. And then you simply get to the next stage, which is, I choose not to do it. And this is reclaiming our sovereign will and action and choice to do something versus to react to old patterns and programs. This is, to me, the whole purpose. As I said, my core value being freedom. So with each thing that compels me versus that I take conscious action with, I choose to focus and work on the thing that compels me and unwinding and unraveling that to where I get to the place where I'm making my own sense of true choice and action of what I want to do here and in each moment. So the pattern of integration to me starts with awareness, which is built through many tools, meditation, mindfulness, journaling, self-reflection, when you actually implement these things, and these are, again, right now in the world, buzzwords, but if you utilize them to ask yourself, 
questions about your daily behaviors and patterns and ask yourself for the answers, you might find life gets a lot easier because you're self-directing instead of being externally directed. And so my integration techniques are, let's build the awareness muscle because that's most of the problem. The more you have that awareness in each moment, you'll remember and then you'll take a new action. And the more you build that, the more you change all of your problems, the more you're integrating everything. And two, it's sitting down and actually reflecting within oneself, asking ourselves questions and asking ourselves for the answers to questions. So I see people that have meditative practices that may just be for the sake of removing all thought. I use a lot of meditation practices that I'm actually asking internally questions about certain things. And then I'm stepping back to listen for answers. And maybe the answer isn't true, but it's interesting to listen to the response that I get because then I go, okay, what is that part that just said, when I asked, what should I do about this situation with my partner in my life? And it was like, fuck that girl. <laughs> like, tell her to go jack off. Like she has nothing to serve you right now. When it responds that way, I then go, oh, okay, what is that? What is that part? Why is it responding that way? What does that mean to me? Do I actually feel that way? So observing the thoughts is basically the fundamental truth of meditation, but I think many people are looking at it from the perspective of releasing all thoughts. And I think the ability to just observe gives you the ability to learn the lessons of all of those things inside. To observe and to interact at times, we can ask those questions. And then another huge piece that I don't often see people talking about is we're looking externally in life for all of the answers. We want that new book, that new course, that new coach, that new program, whatever it is, we want answers to our problems. We're looking to psychedelic medicines for the answer to our problems. What if I simply sat down and asked myself for the answer? What better person to know the answer to my life situation and my life problems than me, the person who has all the details to it? Somebody else I could be working with a coach, for example. This is the most refined version. Working with a coach for a long period of time, they know my life very well, they know my patterns very well, or a therapist, whatever. They know my patterns very well. And then I ask for some type of advice on a life situation, and they can give me one of the maybe best possible answers, but it will still be no better than me giving myself an answer because they still won't have the internal lens and know all the thoughts and all the situations and all the actions and habits like I do. So how often do we actually sit down and in our journaling practice or meditation practice, ask the questions that we're asking everybody else to ourselves. So when I'm integrating an experience, it's questions around what I was experiencing, asking that to myself to reflect on, like you said, the whole alien scenario, what does this mean to me? What might it actually be trying to tell me? What are the other possibilities here? What usefulness does this have to my life? One of the things I often end with, and it's one of the simplest forms of integration, simply asking the question, what is the action step I can take next? What is the small step that I can take next to get me closer to solving this problem in my life, to improving upon this situation in my life, whatever my intention was, to get me closer to implementing my intention? And whatever answer I get, I start to take that step and start to implement that into my life every day. If it told me every day you take a cold shower for five minutes in the morning, okay, start doing that. If it was every day, just 
sit with yourself in peace halfway through your workday so you can kind of reset. Okay, start with that. There could be a million other scenarios that I can't even imagine for what answers you might get out there when you're integrating. But by asking yourself that question, you're going to get the most impactful answer for you right now at where you're at. And obviously, it doesn't mean that this is the answer forever and that there won't be other things that you need to. It could be an answer that maybe doesn't even serve you in the long run. It just gets you from point A to point B. And then at point B, you ask the question again and you get the next answer. And then you move forward with the next step. So this was the fundamental shift for me. It was starting to stack little actions and habits in my daily life that supported the changes that I wanted. Starting with one, adding the next one, adding the next one, all with the goal of feeling the way that I wanted to feel in my day-to-day -day life. So integration for me is that it's coming in asking myself clarifying questions of what i did experience so i can truly know what the information was and then asking myself what i want to do about it and what's the best way to move forward with it and i think those are the fundamentals that get us moving forward consistently and then obviously the techniques and methodology there's a million techniques and methodology we can offer but i like to teach fundamentals and so to me the fundamental is that what is the information how am I going to move forward with it? Without the information, you're moving forward blindly. With only the information, you're not moving forward. And that was a big trap for me. It's like, I got the universe on my head. Great. What do I want to do with it? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I'll, I'll perhaps expand upon one thing. So I think there's one piece there that maybe in the expansion we don't actually disagree on, but that I would say I, I disagree with at, at surface value, which is I think that what you're describing as the process of self-reflection is a very advanced technique. It's for someone who's five years into their spiritual journey and has a really good grasp in five years. I'm placing an arbitrary number there, but they're deep in their spiritual journey and they've gotten a really clean connection to their intuition. The person who's fresh to their spiritual journey, I think actually does need that guidance from outside in many cases, because I think they have so many old patterns still attached to them that they will have difficulty getting clean answers from their intuition, which I agree that at the fundamental level is the ultimate best guide for your own life. But it's something I witness a lot when people are early on that they have, you know, they're trying to do shadow work. And so they think that they're going to do shadow work just through journaling. And it's like, no, shadow work necessitates someone else reflecting things to you. You can't see yourself. And so there's an important balance there that you continue to build your connection to your personal intuition, because ultimately that's your North Star. But in the doing so, you don't trust your intuition too much early on. You consider it as an interesting theory and you get a second opinion because someone can save you a lot of time, pain and effort when you, you, know, you emerge from your psychedelic journey. You're like, yeah, I realized I need a divorce. If you're too much in the just follow your intuition, you're like, well, now I need a divorce. But with a careful coach, they might go, so do you need a divorce or just the current version of your relationship just need to die? And maybe you could have a different version of the same person if you guys negotiated some things out and kind of worked through things. There. So I think there's a kind of a balance there that's really, really important um, to move through. And yeah, I think the other thing 
that is really useful to reflect on. So one of the reasons for the word sacrifice specifically is I think something I witness people not doing because psychedelics are really like exciting and they're so glamorized right now that I think we do a poor job in general of reflecting the seriousness of the work. And so one of the reasons I like that word sacrifice specifically is because I want the client thinking, now this is a pre-journey thing, not a post-journey thing. So post-journey, we frame exactly how you framed. The pre-journey, I think it's really interesting to consider like, what will I sacrifice? Like literally, and to feel into the pain of that, because if what comes up is I'm not willing to sacrifice that relationship, I'm not willing to sacrifice that job, then you might not be ready. And so that pain stimulus is actually a really important feature of going, ooh, I'm not ready to give that up. It's great. Well, if that's what comes up during the journey, like, trust me, you will be suffering if you gain the awareness that the relationship is the thing not serving you. And then you try to just go back to normal life afterwards. Like, if you're not ready to even consider that as the possibility of thing you might have to give up, you might not be time. <laughs> Maybe you should try something gentler first, do some yoga do some just gentle reading before you consider this and you maybe don't have the resilience yet. So yeah, um, as we get towards the end here, so what's the thing that you feel most excited about that you are working on? And give me one personal and one external. So one thing you're working on for you specifically, and then one thing you're working on out in the world that you are excited about that lights you up in the morning. So many gold mines, and then it's like segueing on to the next part. <laughs> I'll jump with you. Um, personally, let's see. So my awareness is very powerful. It's my gift to myself. Um, and my relationship with it has been growing and expanding in many ways. I've realized with everything, as within, so without, light and dark, duality, Everything has its shadow. So my awareness has the shadow, which is the judgmental mind. So the awareness sees something and then the shadow of it comes in and goes, that's wrong, fix it. And so I've often had a very long list. I literally have a list of spiritual items to work on <laughs> within myself. that's constantly just being added to. And I lived in a state of stress that I took from material achievement to internal achievement, personal achievement. And so a reorganization I've been doing a lot recently is from a, a quote of mine, which is um, more loving to be had over more work to be done. So instead of phrasing everything as work that I need to do, things I need to improve because I'm broken, because this is wrong, because this is bad. It's simply how do I offer myself more love and more of the feelings that I want to have? And that may mean stopping doing the wrong thing. But it's coming from a place of I'm trying to develop more ease and more love in myself. And so even if that's maybe taking my foot off the gas, a beautiful phrase that you've given before to me, um, at times, it's something worth doing. So my list can be expansive at times because my awareness will often see and then my judgment will often tell me what's right or wrong, what needs to be changed or doesn't, <clears throat> what I'm doing not good enough. But right now, one of the biggest reorganizations for me is that, is the opportunity to start to look at everything from a perspective of wholeness, from a perspective of love, and from, from a perspective of life. 
I've been learning through all the shadow work, through all the, the years and, and stress and suffering that I've been learning through the teacher of fear. Two forces in life, fear and love, which are the same at the end of the day. And I've been learning all of the lessons of fear, of darkness. And I'm now learning the lessons of love. I'm learning the lessons through love, which is acceptance, which is wholeness, which is there may be things that are wrong, but I can also orient myself and focus myself on the things that are right and good. Because what I learned, and a phrase that I've used before, is I've been a demon hunter for the past decade plus in my life. And what that means is the demons were all hunting me, and I was suffering. So I stood up one day, you know, they killed my father and my mother, and I became the little boy who learned how to fight demons so he could go hunt them <laughs> to take revenge. And what I learned through that process was, oh, that never ends. So diving in constantly to do the work and to fix all of these things within myself, I was just getting more of the same. I was getting more challenges, more things to improve, more ways that I need to show up better. And that's beautiful because it's developed a beautiful being within myself. But the challenge that it's created for me is consistent stress, consistent identification with the fact that I'm not good enough. If I have all of these things to fix, the inherent belief is I'm doing things wrong and I'm not good enough at where I'm at. So I've been motivating myself to fix myself and be a good person from a state of lack, from a state of fear, from a state of I am not. So the reorganization I'm doing now in my life is can I look at myself as a whole being, as a whole person, deep in my own worth and love and recognize at my heart, at my core, I'm always showing up to be beautiful. I'm always showing up to do my best. I'm always showing up from a place of love. There may be all these countless mistakes and wounds and opportunities and failures, and they're always going to be there. But I'm going to focus on the beautiful values that I have, not ignoring the dark, taking it into consideration learning from it as always but taking the opportunity to go thank you for showing me that i have that wound but i also accept that i have that wound i accept that it that i may have this behavioral pattern that isn't serving me wholly right now and so instead of being in contention with it and saying that's wrong i fix it stressing myself putting myself into a lower vibrational state it's oh i see that wound thank you for showing me that you're here I love and accept that I have that right now in my reality and allow my awareness to simply expand on its own. So as that moment comes in and I'm aware that it happens and maybe I took the action again. Okay, I love you. Thank you for showing up again. I see that you're here. And as I do that over time, I get to that place along the awareness journey where it's like, I'm aware before I do it, I'm going to just simply choose to not do it. So instead of going out and hunting, a metaphor that I've used is changing to now retiring as a demon hunter, choosing this plot of land and staying right here where I'm at, building my house, building my castle, building all the, the town out that I want to live in, staying right here, but I'm keeping my sword sharp. So when these they try to come in, I know how to do battle with them. I know how to learn their lessons, but I'm not going out seeking. I'm not going out trying to basically say, 
I'm not good enough. I'm not whole yet. I can't feel the way I want to feel until I've solved all these problems, until I no longer feel these pains, until I no longer judge people, until I'm Gandhi or Buddha, I can't have the happiness and love that I want. And that's the fundamental flaw I've been making, a mistake I've been making for a long time. So the reorganization for me right now is truly choosing love, truly choosing acceptance and understanding the judgment mechanism has served me has built me to where I'm at, but it's also been the mechanism that's kept me separated from others because I then look at everybody else from that same judgmental lens. Oh, you guys aren't doing this with your life. Can't you see all that your shit? I can. I'm very aware. I worked on all that stuff. You look like you've got a lot of baggage and you're not working on it. Da, 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 da. Like just pointing fingers and judging, which then separates me from other, from that place of compassion and love in each moment with those around me. And being in a leadership role in my life now, in a leadership position, that shadow of judgment has a strong opportunity to put me in a position of like shadow leader. I am better than, I am above. And that's not the place I want to be. That's not the place I lead from. I lead from simply saying, I've walked this path, so I know the path, if you would like to walk with me. I'm not here to tell you the right path to take. I'm just saying, there's a path that I've cleared in this forest. Through lots of hacking, lots of scratches, lots of thorn bushes, you can walk it and get to the other side. And I'm happy to lead you because I've walked it. But I'm not here to tell you you're hacking wrong, you're walking wrong, you're taking the wrong path, you're going the wrong way. And when I'm in judgment, that is what I'm doing. And I'm separating myself from others by saying I'm better than. And one of the fundamental things that came to me recently that I'll kind of end this little bit here with was... Hell is separation. Heaven is love and connection. I have that quote written in my phone. It came out in a more beautiful way at the time, but essentially hell is separation, separation and isolation. So with each mechanism that we do to judge others, we separate ourselves from others. Acceptance, love, bringing things into connection is when we feel more, we experience more, we are more whole. Thus, we feel that frequency of, of heaven, of love, of joy, of freedom. Beautiful. Yeah, well put. So speaking of connection, where can people connect with you? Where's the best places to find you, whether that's online, in person? What's the best place for the audience to connect with you? So this goes with the question that what do I want to give to the world? I historically have not been a big social media person privately <laughs> myself in my life. I've been very detached from it, but I'm actually working heavily on showing that path that I've taken through showing all the pitfalls that I've made and creating content and putting out basically just everything that I am and the journey that I've walked and the common mistakes in relationship and health and wellness and fitness, all the challenges I've experienced and gone through and how I've went through them and starting to put that information out there. Kind of had an insight the other day, I believe it was just simply yesterday where it was give everything that I have because it's not mine. They were gifts given to me to experience the lessons. And now it's my opportunity to give them to others to experience. And so I'm in a position right now where I'm going to begin creating a bunch of material and content and just put it out there hundred percent for everybody to enjoy freely and experience and begin to learn about themselves and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that I did. That's my greatest hope is that through my path, through my suffering, through my grace, I may be able to hand back a cleaner and clearer path for others. 
And so right now I have an Instagram. It's at Mitchell Antoine. Um, that you What's can follow on that? My, M uh, at M I T C H E L L A N T O A N. And you begin following me there. I will have um, new stuff coming out soon as I'm in the ideation process of how I want to speak and what I feel is most most useful to the world right now that I want to offer. And then if you follow me there, you'll see the expansion of what that starts to turn into come soon. Beautiful. Yeah, everyone go give Mitchell a follow, of course. And we've got some cool stuff that we're collaborating on that'll be coming out soon. So you'll hear about all that in the show notes and in the postscript here. But other than that, Mitchell Burley, thank you for being on, my friend. I appreciate you. I appreciate your approach to life and how you look at everything through this lens of how can I continue to expand the flow of love is something I witnessed and just how you interact day to day and how you work on yourself and how you ultimately seek to work on the world. So appreciate that about you. And yeah, thank you for being on. That's a lot, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that was it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. You can connect with Mitchell at all of the links in the show description, as well as find our website for our business, Arcana, and check out all the upcoming dope events we have on the website, which is www.discoverarcana.com. And of course, you can connect with me on Instagram at Alexander Diesel. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving a share to a friend or family member who you think could benefit from hearing some of this information. It really helps us out. So much love, y'all, and I will catch you next time.